Amen. If you turn your Bibles, please, to the book of Luke, the book of Luke, chapter 11, beginning with verse number one this morning. Now, I know in this room we probably don't like, have a lot of uh, what people would call uh, intellectuals uh, in this room, but we all have, uh, everyone in this room has a certain skill, and we have a room full of very skilled uh, people. And uh, there's a lot of you who uh, know things about carpentry. There's a lot of you that know things uh, about horses and animals and shoeing and all the various uh, of all, all the various things like that. And so you you have certain skills and you have certain things that you have been doing for a very very long time. Some of you uh, for for decades. And uh, a lot of times you think about somebody who come up with at, well, see you and. Uh, they have a desire to, to learn. They have a desire to want to become like you and have the certain skill to which you have. And you think about when those people come to you and they ask you, how can I be or teach me to be a good carpenter or teach me to be a good shoer or teach me to be, uh, uh, to me, to be, teach me to be a good cook? And as you, you hear those words and you start thinking in your mind about, okay, what can I tell this person? How can I show this person how to learn the skills to which I have? And you think, you say, well, there's no way. There's no way that I can sit here in just the course of a few minutes and tell this person how to learn the skill to which I have learned because you realize that you have learned this skill over various quantities of time. That it hasn't come for just a knowledge, but it's come steadily over time. That as you learn and as you try to do things, as you make mistakes and as you encounter problems and learn to work through them, as you encounter other people who do the type of profession that, that you do you, and uh, learn from them, you really learn that the process of learning to get to the point to where you are today at what you do has taken a long time. And so you realize that I can't just tell this person to do these things in a short amount of time. I remember, uh, uh, I remember there was an old lady there at our church there in Gallman, and she was probably about 110, 120, somewhere around there. And uh, she was a really good uh, cook. And she was pretty much a cook, like on a, on, on a professional level. And uh, they would call her to come cater, you know, all the, the bank board meetings and things like that. And a lot of times these, uh, the, the younger ladies would come up to her and say, look, teach me to cook how it is that you cook because I want to learn to cook just like you. And she would tell them this. She would say, well, look, just go grab you a recipe book and just start to cook it. And you would really think that there would be something a little bit more profound, a little bit more significant to that. But really, that's what it is, because when you're asking someone, how do I learn this skill? You can't really tell them. You can't really, in an instance, have them absorb all the knowledge to which you have learned over the cumulative years. But rather, you can tell them a pattern and you can tell them the principles where they can start learning. And that's the way that Jesus approached the question that he was asked. As we see in this scripture that he was going to be asked how, he could, how people could be just like him, how they could learn to do something that it is that he can do. And then really we see that he answers that question by not telling them the full force, but telling them the pattern and the principles that would allow them to begin 
the journey to learning how to pray like he prayed. And I, I know that's a topic that's something in our hearts and our life that we seek on our own, that we want to learn to pray more. We want to feel like, you know, we just don't know how to pray right. We just don't feel like we have a deep prayer life uh, in our hearts, in our lives. And we want to grow in that area. And it just seems so daunting. But as we read these verses this morning, Jesus is going to show us how we can begin to develop a prayer life that was similar to his. So let's listen together as we read these instructions that he gives to us in Luke chapter 11, verse number one. It says, now while Jesus was praying in a certain, in a certain place, and we had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, how it be your name, your kingdom come, Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we, are, uh, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for all the things that you blessed us with. Lord, I pray that deep down in our hearts, Lord, we desire to communicate with you more that we desire to take the time, that we desire to have a deeper relationship with you. And Lord, that even in our relationship with our friends and our family, we know that communication is really what drives our relationship. And Lord, I pray that we desire in our heart to talk more with you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And so there Jesus was, and he had just finished praying. And we know that uh, in Luke, he always wants to bring out Jesus' spiritual life, his prayer time, and for us to understand that that's really what made his ministry tick. And that's really what allowed him to accomplish the things that uh, God had him for do, is that he regularly, on his own, seeked personal time between him and God. And he does that as an example for us because if Jesus needed to pray and if Jesus needed to communicate with the Father, then how much more important is it for us? And so we see, we have seen several times where while everybody else was sleeping, he would go out on the mountain to pray. We see that when they went up to the, the mountain of transconfiguration, while everybody else was sort of sleeping, he knew it was an important time. And so he spent time in prayer to the Father. And so everybody knew what his prayer life was. He didn't really make it as a show. He didn't do it for everybody else to see, but everybody sort of noticed. Just like, you know, you may not want things to be known about your life, but it's going to eventually show. People are going to notice you missing. People are going to notice what it is that you're doing. And people were noticing Jesus' prayer time with God. And so one of his disciples, when, they, when he finished praying, when he'd come back from his prayer time, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just like John taught his, his, uh, his disciples to pray. Now, this was one of his disciples. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean one of the 12 because you know that the 12 were there of the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus gave this similar teaching about how to pray. But this probably is a newer disciple, someone who had just come along, and he desired in his heart, as we should desire in our heart, that we learn to pray. 
And so he said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John the Baptist taught his disciples to pray. And so a lot of these religious teachers and John's disciples were no different, would teach their disciples how to pray. In other words, they would give them, first of all, a pattern prayer. They would almost be like this group prayer that sort of represented the values of the group because what we pray for, in a certain sense, represents what our beliefs about God is and about what he could do. So really what he was asking them, Lord, I want us to have us a prayer. Give us a prayer for us as a group of disciples that we could pray together. Now, I remember when I was in Boy Scouts, we had one of these prayers. We'd had one of these prayers that we would pray uh, every day when we would sit down before a meal. We would pray this prayer, and, uh, and it would go something like this, you know, for, uh, for, uh, for food, for raiment, for life, for, uh, for opportunity, for friendship and fellowship. We thank the O Lord, and that was kind of like the group prayer that we would pray, and we also have other prayers that we have in our personal lives. As your uh, children are growing up, then, uh, and you want to teach them to pray, and you want to teach them to pray before a meal. We have a prayer that we teach them. And, uh, you know, God is great. God is good. Let us thank Him for our food. By His hands we are fed. Thank the Lord for daily bread. And we teach them that prayer for they can learn how to pray. And we also teach our children that prayer because we know if we don't, they're going to start praying forever about the trees and the rocks and the birds and all those things like that. We're all going to starve to death. So we need to give them just a little short prayer so we can get moving and start eating. And so they were wanting a group prayer. But what Jesus gave them instead wasn't just a prayer that would define them as a group, but a prayer that would do for them just what we do when we want to teach other people our skills, that first of all, he is going to teach them a pattern of prayer, and then he's going to give them some principles for their prayer and what we need or what they need to think about when they are actually praying to God. And so this week, we're going to talk about the pattern, and next week, we're going to talk about the principles. But before we get into the pattern that Jesus gives to us, the first thing we need to talk about is harmonization. And what is harmonization? Well, that is the practice to which when people would uh, copy the manuscripts of the New Testament and the Gospels in particular, there was a tendency to want to harmonize. In other words, if there was an account that was there in Matthew and there was an account there in Mark, and the account in Mark left out some of the details there in Matthew, they would want to sort of add those details back in so the stories would be the same. And so we see a lot of that here in this prayer, where the prayer that is given to us in Luke is a little bit shorter. And there was the tendency for those who would, some of those who would write some of the, the manuscripts, or so, especially some of the later manuscripts, is that we want this prayer to sound just like the one there in Matthew. But we know that this is a different place in a different time in a different context to which this prayer was given. And that is why in some of your uh, translations, this prayer may be uh, a little longer than it is here in other translations. And so that's why it is harmonization. But we want to give this prayer just as Luke had presented, or just as Jesus had given this prayer in the different in this. And when we, in our lives, 
we can sort of put those together into a whole, but we want to deal with what Luke uh, has given uh, to us in this particular encounter as Jesus speaks these words. And the first thing is that he wants to do is he wants to divide our prayer time into two basic components. And those are this. There is the invocation, and then there are the petitions. In other words, the invocation, who it is that I am talking to. What name am I invoking? And then there are the petitions. There are the requests, the things that we want Jesus to do. So let's hear these elements. Let's hear how Jesus is teaching us how to pray. And let's learn how we can develop this in our hearts and our life to begin to deepen our relationship in our prayer time with God. And the first thing is we need is, is this first word that is revealed to us, and that is the invocation. And what is the invocation? And Luke gives us to it in just one simple word, and that is this Father. Who are we talking to when we pray? Father. And when Jesus taught his disciples there at the Sermon on the Mount, he said, our Father who art in heaven. Now, I want us to know, first of all, is that this is the disciples' prayer. This is a prayer that is to be prayed by his disciples. And it's only those who are disciples of Jesus Christ that can truly address God as their Father. Everybody else can address him as creator, but we as his people can address him as our Father. And I want you to think about how God wants to be known to us. He wants us as his children, as those who believe in his son, Jesus Christ, to address him as Father. And that is a personal word. That is a relational word. That is getting us to see him that God is not a distant power. He is not a force. He is not something that is just floating in the air, but rather he is a person, and he is a person who desires to have a relationship with us. He has a father. And so we're taking out the formalities. We're taking out the need to get the words exactly right. We're taking out the need to make an appointment, but we're talking to someone who loves us. We're talking to someone who cares for us. We're talking about someone who has the responsibility and has the desire to uh, provide for us. And so when we come to the Lord in prayer, we address him as the father. We're just like um, us, when we were children, when we talked to our parents, we could be informal. We could speak what was on our hearts. We could say the words in the, with the vocabulary that we have and know that in some way that they would be able to interpret it. We would speak to them and uh, not be afraid to come before him. And any time that we wanted to speak to them, we could speak to them whether they wanted to listen to us or not. But the Lord is always wanting and he's always ready to listen to him. And so we call upon him as Father. We have a relationship. But it's important for us to understand the relationship. If God is the Father, then we are the children. Very good. So that sets forth a relationship. And it sets forth God who is higher than us. 
He sets God as the one who has authority over us. But it also sets us as his children, as those who are to obey him and those of us who are listened to him. In other words, that we as his children are dependent upon the Father. And so we need the Father. We understand and we respect the Father in his authority in our life. And so when we come to prayer, the first thing we need to do is we need to address who it is that we are talking to. We need to get forth the invocation. We need to say our Father. And that's the relationship. And that opens us up to be able to talk to God about what's ever on our heart. We don't have to worry about using those big words like Tim uses on Sunday when he preaches. We don't have to worry about all the big theology words. But we get to pretend. We get to just picture in our mind that we're just sitting there in the room. And here we are, and there is the Father ready to listen to us. And His willingness and readiness and eagerness to listen to us far outpaces, far exceeds our willingness and readiness to speak to him. So he is our father. How it be your name. What does that mean? You know, what that means is that we have a desire for God to be known in his fullness and in his glory. We want God to be known for who he truly is. We want to know the height the breath, and the glory of who God is. And when we come before the Father, we desire for Him to be praised, and we desire for Him to be honored by His names and His reputation. And this can be a difficult part for us sometimes because a lot of times we don't know what to say. And that's why this is a good time in your personal prayer with God when you want to hallowed God's name This is a good time to get out your Bible and turn to the Psalms. And you can pick out whichever Psalm you want to. And you just pray that to God because the Psalms are all about howling, about praising God's name. And that's why we use them a lot of times here as our opening passages in our call to worship because they are songs that praise God for who he is. And that's really what God wants when we come to him in our prayer that we recognize and we praise him for who he truly is. And why do we praise him? Because he is worthy of our praise. And this is not a, also a, a good time to not only bring out a psalm and read from the psalms, but it also is a good time for you to sing to the Lord in your prayer. Sing one of those songs. Sing one of those hymns that you all know. Sing one of those songs that... Uh, that you hear on the Christian radio station, but they won't let you sing in church. It's a good time to sing to the Lord. And the good thing about this time is that you get to choose the song, all right? You know, you want to sing an old song. You want to sing a new song. You sing whatever song that you want to sing. If you want to stand, stand. If you want to sit, sit. It's yours in the Lord's time, and you get to decide but you use this time to howl at God's name, to praise him for who 
He truly is. And as you sing those songs and as you read those psalms and those scriptures, you get a deeper sense of who God is. Then we get to the petitions. Your kingdom come. And as Matthew would, as he taught us in Matthew, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And a lot of times we focus now on that as Matthew, as God, Jesus taught us in the Sermon on the Mount, is that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We think that this is a prayer that God or, or in our lives that we would act in a way that in some way that we would bring heaven down upon this earth. But really, this is a petition that your kingdom come. This is a plea that God would in some way, that God would actually end now to come down here quickly and establish his rule here upon this earth. And I know that that is the cry that a lot of us have in our hearts, that we face our life and we think about the trouble and when we think about the pain that we all face and when we turn on the news and we hear about all the wickedness, we want to say the word that is real to us in Corinthians and that is Maranatha. And what does that mean? That means God come. And then we would add the words, Jesus come quickly. Jesus come quickly. Now, we're tired of this evil world as it is, and we are ready for you to step out of heaven and come down and rule this earth. And that's what the prayer is, that Lord, your kingdom come. Lord, come and establish your earthly rule here upon this earth. And the things that cause us to pray that prayer are the things that he desires to pray for in this time. And that is all the hurts. All the people that you know who seem to be getting an unfair share of the hurt. All the people that we know and love with cancer. All the people that we know and love who are struggling in a relationship. All those people who we know and love who are struggling with their finances. All those people who we know and love that just seems like their life is just getting picked on. They kind of get up, and then it just seems like life stops them down. And we think about all the hurts, and we think about all the evils. And that's when we come as we pray, you know, God, your kingdom come. We think about those, and we lift those up, and we pray that Jesus in some way, that God in some way, that it would be like he was when he was here upon this earth walking with the people and establishing that kingdom and beginning that kingdom in that he did miracles and he did wonders and he healed the sick and it gave the people just a preview of the kingdom that was going to come when he was returned. And so we think about these hurts and we lift those people up. We lift those hurts up and we pray that, God, I pray that you would come and show us just a little bit of your kingdom by healing my friend, by helping this person out. To give them strength while they or while we are still here. Lord, we want your kingdom to come in its fullness. But we pray that we get to see it just a little bit here upon this earth. Because what happens when we get to see his kingdom and when we get to see flashes in his kingdom here upon this earth, when we get to see healings, when we get to see miracles, when we get to see people that uh, we thought were too far gone and lost, when we get to see them saved, it brings up praises 
in our hearts. And that or in that moment, we get to see God for who he truly is and who, who he will be one day here upon this earth, the ruler of all things. We pray for the day where he will come. Well, there will be no more tears. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more death. Because the old things will pass away. And behold, the new will come. And we pray the Lord every day that he will bring that day. And then he tells us to do this. He said, give us this day our daily bread. And this word for daily bread, no one really understands because we only see it three times in just about the whole Greek language. And so we don't really know exactly what he's trying to tell us here. He's saying daily bread He's saying bread for tomorrow, but I think we kind of understand the, uh, the essence of what the Lord is trying to get us to pray for here, what Jesus is trying to get us to pray for here. He's getting us that we trust God as our provider, that he would provide for us the necessities that we need for life. And Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, he taught us these things, that we not, are not to be anxious about the things that we need for the food and for the clothes and for the shelter because the God who loves you, your heavenly Father, knows that you need those things and will provide those things for you. And so in our prayers, we trust in him that he will provide the needs for our life. And so in this time of our prayer, we pray for our needs. We all have needs, not just needs uh, for healing, because we talked about that before. But we all have insecurities about food, about where we're going to go, about our shelter, how this is going to get paid, how that's going to pay. How this, we have all these anxieties and all these needs that are on our heart. But Jesus says in our prayer to the Father, we pray that the Lord will give us, that he will hand to us, that he will provide for us our daily bread, the things that we need. And so for the things that we need, we pray to the provider of all things. We pray that he would give us our daily bread. And then prayer starts getting hard. That was the easy part of prayer, right? Now we get to this. Lord, forgive me my sins. This is a lot of times the thing that really ruins our time with God and our communion with God is because we don't want to talk about our sins. And the further we are from God in our life, the less we want to talk, the less we want to talk to God. And the more when we come to him in our time of prayer, if we come at all, we want to pray generically. We want to pray for just, uh, you know, we want to keep the, the language professional. We don't want to get into the deep specifics of what is going on in our life. But the Lord says that when we pray, we pray that the Lord will forgive us our sins. And we know that when we come before the Father with our sins and with our shortcomings, we know as, the, as John taught us in 1 John chapter 1, 
that, you know, if we say that we have no sin, then we are a liar. But when we sin, we, we pray to the Father and we confess our sins. And we know that if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to cleanse, to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, what we need to understand is that the Lord is our Father. And no sin that we've committed in our life puts us out. None of that affects that relationship. You know, we don't commit a sin and all of a sudden lose our sonship. He doesn't disown us. He doesn't put us aside. But we know that our sins affect that relationship. It doesn't affect the reality that we are his children, but it does affect that relationship. Now think about how it is in our relationships, with our relationships with our parents and our children. There's nothing that we could do that would change that relationship. They're still our father. They're still our mother. They're still our children. But the sins and the hurts and the things that we do do affect that relationship and the strength thereof. And so what the Lord says to us, when we come to him in prayer, we need to get things right. We need to get things right, and we need to be open and honest about our sins and our shortcomings. We need to clear the air, just as sometimes in our relationship. When we've done wrong, you know, we don't want to talk to that person. We don't want to see that person. You want to kind of create a distance. You know what that's like when you have a tension between two people because of something that you've done or something they've done. You don't want to call them. You don't want to see them. You know, you used to talk. You used to have a good time together. But now there's just that something between us. And you're affecting the relationship. And what confession does is it mends that relationship. It reopens those channels of communication. It reopens that time of fellowship that you used to have. And so when we come before the Father, we need to think about our sins and our shortcomings. We need to think about the things that we've done in that past day that would affect that relationship. And the reason why we don't want to do this is because we think we want to keep those things hid. Now, I don't know if you ever tried to play hide-and-seek with God, but I bet you it's not a fun time. You can just ask Jonah. Jonah thought he could go to the opposite place of where God would go. He thought he'd get on a boat, and he thought he'd run from God. But God found him because he's right there. And there's something in your life that you want to try to hide. You don't want to say to God, and you don't want to say to nobody because you think you're keeping it hid, but I promise you, first of all, that God knows. And I can promise you, secondly, more people know than who you think know because our sins will certainly find us out. We try to keep it in the darkness, but the Lord is steadily bringing it to light. And so we talk openly about our sins, and that's hard. It's hard just to voice it. But that's what the Lord calls us to do in our time of prayer. And knowing that when we do, we don't find judgment, but whether we find a father who's willing to forgive if we will just confess. That's hard, isn't it? Well, you think that's hard? Just look at this next line. Even as we have forgiven everyone 
who is indebted to us. We all think that we need to forgive, that we need forgiveness in our hearts and life, but it's hard for us to extend that forgiveness to other people. But I want us to notice how he sets this up. He wants us to first of all think about the forgiveness that he has given to us, and then he wants to talk about the forgiveness that we should extend to other people because the forgiveness and the love that God has shown to us is the impetus of the forgiveness that we should extend to other people. In other words, we forgive others because Christ has forgiven us. And here he uses the term of indebtedness. And that's always kind of the illustration that was used in talking about sin. It was a debt. And Jesus would give parables about this debt. And he would talk about this one servant who had a debt that, uh, that would be 20 lifetimes worth of wages. And the father forgave that debt. But yet he, in his heart, that servant, was unwilling to forgive someone of a much, much, much smaller debt. And Jesus' instructions to them was the same as it was to us. It's since the Father has forgiven us all of our sins, all the sins that are wide in the open and some of the sins that are involved in our hearts, we must forgive others. And so when we think about this portion of prayer of asking for forgiveness and forgiving others, Jesus calls to think about the previous day you pray at night, you're thinking about what's happened during that day. You pray in the morning, you think about what's happened that day before. Think about the things and the people you encounter. Think about how you've gotten things wrong. Those people that you yelled at, those times that you sinned. And think about the people who did you wrong or you did them wrong. And have this as a time of asking God to forgive, to forgive you and to forgive them and erase all those things and allow you to go into a fresh new day. Then he tells them this, the last principle, I mean, uh, this, uh, this last principle. He said, lead us not into temptation. Lead us not in temptation. What is Jesus trying to tell us here? Well, it's really kind of hard to, uh, to say because we know that the Lord does not tempt us, right? He's not the one who sets us up to failure. It's usually our own lives. It's usually Satan who leads us up into temptation. And also this word that we use to mean or we translate temptation is also could be used as tribulation, could also be used as a trial, could also be used as testing. And so the Lord so what the prayer is and what Jesus is calling us to pray is that the Lord do not lead us into temptation. Do not lead us into tribulation. Do not lead us into testing. So what is the Lord trying to tell us here? What is Jesus wanting us to, uh, to pray for here? And I think what he's trying to, for us to do is that he's getting us to look into our tomorrow. He's getting us to look into this day that we are about to face. And he's saying, Lord, Watch over me and guide me because we know that we are weak and we want the Lord to guide us in such a way that we do not encounter anything that we are not capable of handling. We go throughout the day that noticing that I am a frail 
man, and I am prone to temptation. And if I'm not trusting in the Father, then I'm going to fail, that I'm going to miss the opportunity, that I'm going to sin, that I'm going to stumble, that I'm not going to do the things that he wants me to do. So I'm saying, Lord, do not lead me in temptation. Lord, I want you to guide me into this day, and I want you to protect me in my faith. You see, the Lord, in his wisdom, as his children, he doesn't want to put us in a bubble. He doesn't want to wrap us up into bubble wrap so that we do not face trouble and that we do not face adversity. But he wants to lead us, and he wants to allow things to come in our life that are going to test us and that are going to strengthen us in our faith. But he knows what we can handle, and he knows what we can't. And he knows, and we should know in our hearts and our lives that we cannot handle anything apart from God's strength in our life. So we pray that the Lord will guide us. And like I said, he's calling us to think about our days ahead, to think about what it is that we're about to face. Think about the people that you're going to meet. Think about what you're going to say to them. Think about the places that you're going to go and what temptations may be there. Get your mind right to face where it is that the Lord will lead us. Having confidence in knowing that the Lord will not lead us into a place that we cannot handle through his help. Knowing that we are dependent upon him. And as Jesus reminds us, as he says, teaches this same thing in the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, lead us not in temptation. But in that prayer, he says, but deliver us from the evil one. Isn't it good to know as we go throughout our days that regardless of what we face, regardless of how the world is, and regardless of even how much we may stumble and fall and not get right, that we still have the victory through Christ Jesus. And so we can face the day knowing that whatever we face is what the Lord has intended us for to face, that nothing comes into our life that has not passed through the sovereign hand of God. And so we can go with confidence that through the Lord's help, we can make it through the day. We don't need pills. We don't need the drugs. We don't need any of that. All we need is Jesus in our hearts and our lives. And we can make it through whatever we face. Jesus wanted to teach them to pray. He wanted to give them a prayer that they could pray together. That would identify them as a group. But even more importantly, he wanted to teach them to pray. He wanted to give them a form that would guide them in the growing of a vibrant relationship with Jesus. It was not the prayer that they would just simply recite all the time in their personal lives, but it was the seed. It was the beginning of a prayer that would develop them over time as we go through the ups and downs of life, as we get far in the, mirror, in the understanding of who it is that we're talking to, as we grow more comfortable and more vibrant 
and praying his scripture and hollowing his name and singing those songs. As we get more comfortable in calling upon God that his kingdom would come and lifting up our friends and trusting him for the hurts and the sorrows and the troubles that we face in life and counting on him to be our provider, counting on him for his forgiveness of our sins and us forgiving others. And as we grow and trusting God's leadership in our life, we will begin a vibrant prayer life with God that we will grow in our intimacy, in our communication with him. But you say that, I don't know how to do that. But in these verses, Jesus gives us the same instructions that the old ladies used to tell the young ones. Just get your book out, start cooking. Just get this prayer out and just start praying. And watch how you'll grow in your relationship, in your prayer time with him. Let's pray. And Father, we're so grateful that you are a father. You're someone who loves and cares for and provides for us. And Lord, I think that we seek during this time to think about what is our true relationship with you. How much do we talk to you? How much do we communicate with you? And we will strive in our heart to just go beyond, Lord, just phrases that we would say like at night before we eat or before we go to bed or when we wake up, but to really start pouring out our heart to you and that we do it every day and we seek to grow more and more. And Lord, we know that you're watching over our lives. And so, Lord, I pray that we're willing to lay all our burdens and all our cares upon you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand.